Grab your Bible and open it to the book of John, chapter number 4. John chapter 4, verse 35 is where we're going to begin our reading. John 4, 35. Let's start reading here. Do you not say, Jesus is speaking here to his disciples, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already, everybody say already. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have, not, you have entered into their labor. So I want to preach this morning on the topic of harvest time. Can you bow with me today? Father, once again as we come before you this day at the uh, turn of this service where we Focus our attention, not only our human attention, Lord, but our, our spirit, Lord. We, we engage today with your word. I just pray for your anointing upon me as the vessel. God, that you would speak uh, the words of truth that penetrate the heart. God, that I'll not add to or, or uh, de- deduct not one word from what you would have us to hear today from your heart and mind. I pray that we might have a glimpse uh, of your plan, of your glory. And Lord, how soon uh, your return return. Uh, may be upon us. Again, we just love you today. Turn our attention to you and praise you in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. All right, so this leading up to this scripture that Jesus uh, is speaking to his disciples is a very familiar uh, encounter that Jesus had. Uh, we call her the woman at the well. I'm sure she had a name. Uh, but there's a lot of these people, probably Bible characters, when we get to heaven, they're going to say, you know, I had a name. They just didn't ever, we know him as the woman at the well or the woman caught in the act of adultery. I mean, how would you want to you know, that is how you remembered your whole life. Everybody in the world knows you as the woman who was caught in the act of adultery or uh, so on and so forth. But um, anyway, we don't know what her name is, but Jesus did. Amen? And, uh, and that's all that really matters. But um, we know her as the woman at the well. And this encounter that Jesus has with her, and I'm not going to go through the entire uh, encounter here. I want to focus on what Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Um, but leading up to that, what we find in the first part of this chapter I think one of the most powerful and, for me, blessed and exciting verses, and it may not seem like much, and we read past, us, read past, us, read past it a lot, uh, but the Bible says that as Jesus is traveling, it said he needed to go through Samaria. He, he must go through Samaria. And that doesn't seem significant really to us at all when we're just reading through that. Uh, but what we got to understand is that most of the time Jews would avoid Samaria. Okay? If a Jew was going from point A to point B and Samaria was in the middle, in many cases they'd go around it because the Samaritans to the Jewish people were just dogs. They were half-breeds. They just, the, the Jewish people looked down on Samaritans, and they felt like to even be around a Samaritan was defiling to them, and they wouldn't lower themselves to even walk through the Samaritan territory. So it's significant when Jesus says to his disciples, I got to go to Samaria. It wasn't because it was a shortcut. It wasn't just by chance. There was one lady that we know as the woman at the well, and that one woman, Jesus went through Samaria for her. There was an encounter that Jesus was leading up to. And so Jesus, as he gets to this well, and his disciples have gone into town, and Jesus is there by himself, and here comes this woman. 
by herself to draw water. And Jesus, he stirs up a conversation with her, and he begins to speak to her, and he asks her for a drink of water, and so on and so forth. But as, as he begins to reveal himself to her, and she begins to realize that she's in the presence of Christ because she says to him, you know, well, we know that one day Christ is going to come. And Jesus basically says to her, he's already come. I'm him. And so many, in many cases, you know, she's living her life like a lot of people do. Oh, one of these days. One of these days, Jesus is going to come, and a lot of times we have a tendency to, to put that down into the forefront of our mind. And what we have to understand is that the Scripture teaches us this. The kingdom of God is where? At hand, right? I mean, we, we are always, every one of us, are standing on the step of Jesus' return or death, whichever may come first. But Jesus, on purpose, goes through Samaria because he knows there's a lady who's ready to receive him. Okay, so what is, what is a harvest, really? Isn't it whenever what you've planted is ready to be plucked? Okay, when the fruit is fully grown, those of you that, that grow gardens, you put the seed into the ground, it grows, and once that cucumber is so, uh, so long, or, or that tomato is so red, it's ripe and it's ready to be picked. And so it is with the soul. So it is with the Spirit of God who deals with every human being. And for, you know, a person may go for years and kind of push the Lord away and, and close our ears to the voice of the Spirit that is speaking to us. But as, as the Lord is so gracious to every human being, if there's one thing we learn from this uh, event here as Jesus is dealing with the Samaritan woman, we see this, the value of every single soul. Every soul, regardless of our sinful past, regardless of what, what ethnic group we belong to, regardless of our social status, every soul is so valuable to Jesus to the point where he would go through Samaria just to talk to one. Why? She was ripe. She was ready for the picking, so to speak. Her heart was at a place where she was ready to receive the gospel. People sometimes put it off for years, but then there comes a moment where their heart is ready to receive it. And nobody knows how ready that heart is like the Holy Spirit. Amen? You might be here this morning and you're not saved, and I, I can't tell by looking at you whether you're really ready to receive it or not. I might be able to get a pretty good idea by talking to you a little bit, but nobody like the Holy Spirit knows when that soul is ready to be picked. So as, as the disciples come back and they see Jesus talking with this Samaritan woman, they're a little surprised. A, he's talking to a Samaritan. B, it's a Samaritan woman, right? So they're a little surprised that he's talking to her. And this is when, then when, is when he says this to the disciples. He said, don't, don't say that in four months the harvest will be ready. In other words, don't have the mentality that in four months we'll get out there and get busy for Jesus. Someday... I'll start talking a little bit more about the precious name of Jesus that we were saying about. Don't think that, well, one of these days that soul will be saved. He said, I want you to understand there are people around you every day that are ripe and ready to be picked, so to speak. Ready to hear the gospel. And maybe they've heard the gospel. Somebody else years ago has planted the seed of the gospel. And it's grown over the years. And God has sent this person or that person and watered that seed. And for all of these years, and now they're at a point where they're ready to surrender. And God needs people who are pickers. Amen? 
He needs gospel pickers, people who are looking, who, who have a, a sensitive ear to the Spirit in which when you're engaging in conversation with somebody, you can realize they're ready to receive the gospel. Jesus said, don't kick the can down the road. Don't always be looking for your ship to, say, uh, to come in, so to speak. There are people every day around us. The harvest is ready. Amen? We, we look a lot as, as Christian people. We, we look to the day that Jesus will return, and we should. We, in fact, we should think about that more often than we do. How many would agree with me on that? We should think about the return of Jesus more often than we do. It's really easy for all of us, even as Christian people, to just get, kind of get caught up in life. But when we're constantly looking for that day of Christ's return, there's something that keeps us on our game in the life that we live and also in the work that we have to do uh, for God. Amen? The, uh, you read in the book of, of Haggai, there was a work that God wanted them people to do, and it was to rebuild the temple. And they run into some resistance. It didn't go as easy as they thought. Do you know that if you decide to be a worker for the kingdom of God, it's not going to be easy? Amen? And it just didn't go as easy as they planned, and so they just kind of gave up. But this was, when you read through the book of Haggai, this was the mentality of God's people. It's just not time yet. I mean, they were always thinking to themselves, well... It just must not be time. You know, we've run into this resistance and we can't get the temple built. So maybe it's meant for a later day. And so God raises up a preacher by the name of Haggai. And he says, Haggai, your calling is to refuse to let God's people kick the can down the road anymore. I, I want you to go in and preach to these people that they understand now is the time to be working on my temple. They, it's not down the road. It's now. And, and, and I believe, and so and Haggai did that. He comes in. He says, look, guys, the time for God's work is now. And he, the Bible says, I love this. The Bible says that the, that the people's, uh, their, their spirit was stirred. Haggai, the Holy Spirit through Haggai's preaching stirred the spirits of the people, and they realize, you know what, you're right. We've just gotten too lukewarm. We've, we've gotten too comfortable. It, it's time to get to work, back in, in God's work. And they rose up, and they, they built the temple, and they got it done. And I believe that God is speaking, in a sense, that same thing to us as the church in 2019. I mean, believe that we, we look, as we kind of push things down the road, but I believe that if the Lord was here, he would say to us, in a sense, wake up. Church, right? I mean, I think he would say to us that um, what I want you to do is realize that now is the time to be winning souls for the kingdom of God. Man, we don't know how much longer. This is not a, I mean, I could get up here and give you all kinds of end time statistics and talk about the book of Revelation and all of that. And I believe that, the, I believe that Jesus could come back anytime. I really do. You think about your loved ones. Um, when, when the Lord returns, don't you want your loved ones to be ready? Don't you, don't you hope, and you may have preached and preached and preached to your loved ones and, to no avail. In many cases, that, that just happens. But wouldn't it be great, wouldn't you love it, if a loved one, someone that you are concerned about, if, if God was to send somebody to them? I mean, if somebody was, if God was dealing with their heart, and God sent somebody whose, whose ear was in tune and went and visited with that loved one, and they got gloriously saved, wouldn't you be glad that God sent that individual? I believe that we are all those individuals that God wants to send, but we have to understand, hey, there's some right picking here. We have to recognize it around us. I believe, I believe that probably in every one of our workplaces, there's somebody who's ripe. There's somebody in, in your family that's ripe, somebody ready, so to speak, to be harvested. We can't say, well, someday. 
It's now. And the, you know, the, one of the very first commands that God gave the human race was to be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. That wasn't a guilt trip that God was putting on Adam and Eve and on the, on the human race. It wasn't a guilt trip. It was, it was a command. It was a work that he had to do. Be fruitful and multiply. And just naturally speaking, we don't have a problem with that. I mean, all of us are here today because somebody was fruitful and multiplied, right? So we, we gladly take that command and we roll with it, you know, and we, we don't mind a bit. And we, we do what God says. So we, we've done that. So God, it wasn't a guilt trip. It was just God's way of populating the world. So we don't, none of us were guilted into having children and, and to multiply. Well, God said we had to multiply, so I guess we better multiply. No, no, it's natural. It becomes natural. We just do it because it's natural. And, and I believe that, that God would like for us to multiply spiritually that natural. So when, I, when I'm preaching this today, it, it's not a guilt trip. I want you to understand this. It's not about saying, okay, you need to be out there and you need to witness to, everybody needs to witness to five people this week. And it's not a guilt trip to try to um, make you feel bad and force you and I into witnessing. That's not what it is at all. It's just that Jesus gave us a command as far as the gospel is concerned. We bear a seed. We bear a seed. And he gave us that same command in a spiritual sense as his church to be fruitful and multiply. The reason why we can be fruitful and multiply physically and naturally and have children is because we bear a seed. That God put in us, every human being is capable of reproducing because of the seed that is in us. And God has placed in us the seed of his gospel. Amen. If we're saved today, we've got a seed that is capable of changing the lives of people who are around us every day. It's not a guilt trip. You've got to be out there telling people about Jesus. It should be natural to us. We have, not only do we have the seed of the gospel that's able to save souls, but we have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that enables us to plant that seed. The Holy Spirit that, you know, nobody plants a seed in the ground, you know, on top of the ground. What do you have to do to the ground before you plant it? You have to plow it up. And the Holy Spirit within us is what it plows the ground. It gets people's hearts ready to receive the gospel. And then he, he's able to send us in in just the right moment. Disciples, don't say four months. Be ready today. There may be somebody that crosses your path. And I need you to sow a seed. I need you to water. I, you may be the one that plucks the fruit and gets to lead somebody to Jesus Christ. If you witness to somebody and you tell them, whether you're giving them your testimony or just telling them that God loves them, whatever you do, understand that, that you're doing your part. One person plants, another person waters, and what I'm saying is this. If you tell somebody about Jesus and they, and they don't just drop to their knees in that moment and begin to repent, don't be discouraged. Some people are the ones that get to pluck the fruit and see that come to fruition. But most likely, that wasn't the first time anybody ever talked to them about Jesus. Amen? should become natural. God help us as your people, filled with your spirit, to be able to just naturally witness and and, and harvest the souls looking for those who are ready. That we won't be intimidated by man and what man thinks about us, but that we'll be, you know, I've, I've often th- I think a lot about uh, Ananias, not the one that dropped dead, the other Ananias. Um, if that got you curious, you have to read your Bible, the book of Acts. You'll figure that out. There was an Ananias that dropped dead, and there was an Ananias that was a great worker in the kingdom of God. But just in a nutshell, what happened was, you know, uh, Saul, a man by the name of Saul, who was uh, persecuted the church 
uh, like crazy. I mean, he, he had made it his number one life priority to stamp out the name of Jesus in society. He was out throwing people, any Christian he could find, throwing them in prison, overseeing their execution. I mean, he was, he was ruthless in stamping out Christianity. And God looks at him. Of course, God always looks with a different set of eyes than we do, right? God looks at this guy, and instead, where we would have said, yeah, God, kill him. Get rid of him. He's an enemy to the cross. God looks at him and says, I think I'll save him, <laughs> right? <clears throat> I think I'll just save him, and I'm going to turn him into a preacher. So this guy goes from telling everybody not to believe in Jesus to telling everybody to believe in Jesus. And so as, as Saul, you know, God blinds him. And for a period of time, he falls down off. You know, Jesus speaks to him in a loud voice, and he's blind for a little bit, and he realizes that he's messed up bad. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, Lord? You know what I mean? It's like, you've seen those commercials, want to get away? I think that's kind of the way Paul felt in that moment. He realized that the, the very one he had been persecuting and the very one he'd been trying to destroy was, had just blinded him and was speaking to him. And so the Bible says that, God tells Saul, I want you to go to such and such a place until I give you some further instruction. Saul's blind. He doesn't know what's going on. All he knows is there's more to this Jesus business than he thought. And as he's there waiting, God speaks to a Christian by the name of Ananias. He says, Ananias, I need you to go and speak to Saul of Tarsus, which Ananias knew who Saul of Tarsus was. He knew what Saul had been doing, that he'd been destroying Christians. But Ananias lived in a place in the spirit where God was able to speak. It's, it's, it's really amazing. He didn't argue long with God, right? I mean, he didn't say, you know, God, I'm not sure you know who this guy is, but, you know, he's been persecuting Christians. But he went. His ear was in tune to the voice of the spirit in which God, there was a soul that was ripe. It was harvest time, so to speak, in, in Saul's life. Somebody needed to be there because that's how God chooses to work. God could send a thousand angels to evangelize the world. That's not how he chooses to work. The, the Holy Spirit by himself can save a soul, that soul that's out by themselves. And he does in many cases, but for the most part, God chooses to work through people. To take the gospel, to reap the gospel, God said, I just need willing vessels. What if every Christian could talk to people about Jesus as naturally as breathing? We know how to be fruitful and multiply physically. What if we really was willing and able to multiply spiritually? Jesus, and you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but in, in the ninth chapter of Matthew, Jesus, and, and Jesus used a lot of harvest analogies and, and uh, parables and, and so forth, but uh, I won't get into all of them, but, but the Bible says in, in Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went out throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, that seed, of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, to his church, this is the same message to us today, I believe, and again, not as a guilt trip, just as information, to understand what your calling is, uh, the harvest is plentiful. In other words, there's a lot of people out there that need me, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. That's, how many of you know that's a problem if you have more fruit to pick than you have people to pick it? Peter Piper picked a pick. That's kind of hard to say uh, real fast. You have more people, people to pick uh, the, the fruit. You, if you have a big harvest, you need a big labor force, right? 
So what Jesus is saying, ultimately, which is a shame, there's a shortage in uh, uh, harvesters. There's a shortage in people who are willing to work in the kingdom of God for no other reason but to birth souls into the kingdom of God. Amen? To pick that fruit and lead people. I wonder, and there's probably a statistic out there. I didn't look, and I don't know how you'd really know it for sure. But it, it, it makes me wonder how many Christian people and you, you answer this for yourself. I mean, I'm not making any accusations. I'm, I'm talking to myself. But I wonder how many Christian people, true Christian people, I'm not talking about people who are faking it or have, I mean, really love Jesus and are saved. I wonder how many true Christian people would really know how to lead somebody to Jesus if they come across that moment. I mean, think about it ahead of time. In fact, the Bible teaches us to do that. Be ready to give an answer to everybody who asks us about the hope that is in us. We should always be ready to share the gospel. It's not that we have to have a doctorate in theology and understand everything there is to know about God. I, we, I, you're never going to be able to explain the, to people where God came from, right? You always, well, I don't know if they ask me this question, I'm not going to know what to say. And, and God says, no, no, you're missing the point. We're looking for people who are ripe. Amen? We're not out there just trying to debate. We're looking for people who are just ready. And the Holy Spirit makes us sensitive to that. But when you come across that moment, how many Christians could, are really capable of walking that person through and leading them to Christ? I, I, it may be a very small number, which would be a shame. It's not, not just preachers are called to lead people to Jesus. Amen? We all are. We are all the light of the gospel. So think about that. You, you ask yourself, well, what if I did come across somebody? Would I be able to lead them, what, I, what would I say to them? That's a good thing to know ahead of time. What if we all went out of here today and we were a force? What if we all went out of here as pickers, gospel harvesters? What if we all did? And every one of us, one time this week, shared the gospel with somebody. What can happen? Who knows? But what he wants us to do is be ready. I wonder, why don't we? I mean, now let's, let's just go, I'm just kind of shooting from the hip here. But some of the reasons maybe why we don't witness like we should and, and harvest people and look for that. And there's a, there's a number of reasons, obviously. For one, I think probably we missed the one thing that we read there in that little scripture. What, what did the Bible say Jesus had on people? Compassion. Jesus, when he looked at the multitudes, he didn't see their outward appearance. Okay, He didn't just see, he didn't just listen to what they said. He looked past all of that and he's seen their lost condition. See, these people are like sheep without a shepherd. They're, they're lost, and he saw past everything else, and he just had compassion and love on them. And compassion is something that the human race is, is quickly losing. Compassion for one another, we are, are more, I think, I think one of the reasons we, even as Christians, don't really get into the harvesting too much is because we're a little selfish, at times, even as Christians, we're a little more concerned about our life and our welfare and our family than we are the, the, the lost condition uh, of the world around us. So that lack of compassion. In James, uh, we've been studying on Wednesday night, and, and he's writing to Christian people, and he's warning them about uh, uh, selfishness. He said, to, you know, to avoid selfishness, which he said ultimately was demonic. The, the focus on self and what self wants that ultimately comes from that mentality of the devil to focus everything about us. But it goes on to say that those who are selfish, it leads, um, it leads to, um, oh, what, what's the word? It begins with a D, Dis, uh, disorder. 
It leads to disorder and every evil practice, the selfishness of man that ultimately leads us to do bad things, but also ultimately leads us just to not do the right thing. How many of you know it's just as bad to not do the right thing as it is to do the wrong thing? Did you catch that? In fact, James in that same chapter says that he that knoweth to do good and doesn't do it, to him is it is sin. So there are, we, we talk about there's the sins of commission and the sins of omission. What does that mean? The sin of com- commission is when you commit a sin. And you know, you know that's wrong. If you, if you tell a lie, you've just committed a sin. If you steal something from, from somebody, you've committed a sin. And you know that's wrong. Anybody can know that. But the sins of omission are sometimes a little harder to detect. The sins of omission, what does it mean, omission? You've omitted. What does it mean when you omit something? You've left it out. So the sins of omission, just simply meaning what God wants us to do and the things that we should do that we don't do. He says, to them, it is sin. And I've been as guilty, if not more guilty, than anybody else. And again, it's not about the guilt trip. But many times we, we don't, we're not harvest-minded many times because we're a little apathetic. We're, you know, apathy is kind of a, you're void of feeling. It's just kind of a, nah, I don't know. I, I just, you know, I'm just kind of biding my time, right? I'm just biding my time till Jesus comes. How many of you know that is a horrible attitude for Christian people to have? But many of us have it. We'll sing our, we'll sing our songs about heaven and we'll be glad and excited that we're going to heaven and we're just biding our time Till we die or till Jesus comes, because it's going to be so much better for me when I get there. And that's, and that's natural. It's normal. I mean, God's done a lot for us. We as Christians got a lot to look forward to. But we can get so caught up in what we had to look forward to that we look past and forget about the people who are lost. Amen? Are you with me this morning? God says, I'm looking for people. I've got a shortage of workers. And it's not getting any better. I mean, the mentality, the work mentality today is gradually, how many of you are supervisors or have ever been a supervisor? Let me see your hand. How many of you found it just so easy to have good help? People that would show up every day on time with a smile and a good attitude, ready to work. Ready, they show up and say, I'm ready to make this business as good as it can be. It's hard, isn't it? It's harder. I mean, my wife's a supervisor and she constantly, one of the greatest things, I know many of you are, is just finding people who want to work. Why don't people want to work? Aren't they selfish? They're self-absorbed. And that work mentality is just going away. Now, we know we we don't work to earn salvation. I think you all understand where I'm coming from when I talk about work. James goes on to say, look, you know, faith without works is dead. Jesus didn't didn't save us to sit on our holy can. He just didn't. He, He saved us to be fruitful and multiply. Amen? Parable after parable, Jesus spoke about taking what he gave us and reproducing it, making it bigger, making it more. We don't, many times, lack of compassion, maybe fear of what people think. That's the biggest thing. I, I'm, I, I would almost venture to promise you I am the worst one in this room for that. I'm probably the worst offender when it comes to being worried about what people think. Why do we do that? I mean, what person are we going to stand before at the, at the end of our life and give an account for? Is it our neighbor? Is it our coworker? Is it Oprah Winfrey? I mean, people who make fun of the gospel, and are they the ones that really we answer? Is that, are they the ones we answer to? Do we exist for them? 
I mean, logically speaking, when you stop and think about it, it doesn't make any sense to care what people think. It doesn't make any sense to not uh, be a harvester and share the gospel because we're worried about people and what they think. It doesn't make any sense, but it's, it's, a, it's a chain. Man, and, I'm, and God, I, I, God's working in me. I'm getting better, but I just, I don't want to care. I want to be able to just, guy that wants to kill Christians, yeah, I'll go talk to him, God, if you want me to. I mean, I just, I, we, we, we want to live in a place where our ear is open to God, and all we're looking for every day is that one soul that might be ripe. I know we get discouraged about the ones who are arrogant and the ones who are boastful. Don't worry about them right now. Let God deal with them. They're, they're not ripe yet. You don't pick fruit that ain't ripe, do you? You got green beans that big? You don't go out there and pick them all. You leave them alone. Leave them alone. Let them grow. There'll be a day that you'll be able to pick it. We're looking for, if we just start by looking for the ripe fruit, I mean, people, Christian people are always out there wanting to debate people and feel like we have to convince people of the existence of God or the gospel. And there's a time for that, I suppose. But I think for the most part, don't worry about all that. Just look for the people who are ready. Amen. I bet there's more right people around you than you realize. Listen for the conversation. Listen for the despair in their voice. Anybody that don't know Jesus, the despair in their voice will come out if you're listening. They begin to look at the world around them, and they don't know what life holds. They, they know that they're, you know, they're going to die. Death is imminent, and, and maybe faster than we think when we look at you know, Iran and all that kind of stuff. Listen to, for the despair and the fear in people's voices. And you know what might just minister to them more than anything? If you as a Christian have peace. You can say, I, I, you know, I, it is bad and I, you know, I'm concerned about it, but I don't worry about it. Whatever, whatever happens, I know I'm ready. Hallelujah. Just look for the right fruit. That's a start in the right direction. We, uh, I was thinking about Jonah. Jonah was a godly man. Jonah was a man who, he had the Spirit of God with him to the point where he could hear from God. I mean, God spoke to him and Jonah heard it. There were many times where, no doubt, many times that God used Jonah in the past. I want you to go say this to this person, say that to that person. And Jonah, in many cases, he, he did. He'd been working for the Lord. But what we find is when God spoke, speaks to, to Jonah and says, look, there's a whole city that I'm going to destroy. They're, they're, they're ripe. I mean, Nineveh was ripe for the harvest. And God, but, I mean, they were sinful, and God said, I'm going to destroy them for their wickedness. But God, in his mercy, knew that in their hearts, if they're presented with forgiveness, they'll receive it. It was, it was just time. I mean, all these years, Nineveh getting worse and worse and worse and God cultivating and he's working and maybe other prophets had gone and had failed. I mean, who knows? But in this moment, God knew Nineveh was ripe. It was harvest time in Nineveh. It's harvest time at Willow Springs High School. It's harvest time at Woodpro. It's harvest time at wherever some of you, the rest of you work. I'm, look, I'm, I'm looking, I'm not... Uh, I looked at two people that were uh, self-employed, and I was like, well, who do they have to witness to? I mean, you know, but, uh, but anyway, anyway, what was I saying? Harvest time at the grocery store. It's harvest time everywhere we go. Now, if you're, if you're self-employed and you can't lead your only employee to Jesus, you got a problem, right? Um, but it's harvest time in Nineveh, so God says, I, I need a man, a person, that's how God works, through people. Amen? 
I need a person, somebody that will go and deliver my word, deliver the truth. Judgment's coming. Okay, he didn't sugarcoat it. But the, but the best news, the, the, the first news was, okay, you're, you're bad and I'm going to destroy you. But the good news was you don't have to be destroyed. The good news is there's a way for you to escape the judgment of God. And that's what God ultimately wanted Jonah to bring. God doesn't get any good. God doesn't like telling people, I'm going to destroy you. God doesn't get any pleasure in that. That's, that's just the holiness of God, making him being true to himself. Giving the fact, look, you've broken my law, I'm bringing judgment. But the good news is, and here's what I really want you to know, you can escape judgment. No easier way to proclaim the gospel to somebody than that. Amen? We don't want to present God as some vengeful God that's mad at people because of their sin. We want to present him as the God who wants to save us from the wrath to come. Amen? The love of God has always been, is now, and always will be a very effective evangelistic tool. Amen? For Jesus used it. For God so... God's looking, Jesus looking with compassion. And he looked at Nineveh, as wicked as they were. They had a past. You say, well, I've, had, I've got a past. I've done this. I've just been too bad. And these people were nasty. They were mean and nasty. God is not at all concerned about your past. And I'm not either, by the way. I don't think anybody in this church is. I'm not concerned about what you've done in the past. Jesus said, these people, these people are ready and ripe for harvest. I'm sending Jonah down to preach the message of repentance. And Jonah... Because of a lack of compassion, because he was, that, he was apathetic, he was just void of feeling, he had better things to do. Maybe he feared what people thought, maybe that wasn't it so much, maybe he just didn't like those people. I don't like Ninevites. He just didn't care. And so he goes the opposite direction. He does what many of us do when God sends us to speak to somebody. Amen? Been there, done that. He went the opposite direction. Bible says, and here's the part I think probably is the saddest. Not so much that he went the other way, but that the Bible says he went into this ship that was going the opposite direction of Nineveh. And he went down into the bowels of the ship, and the Bible says he just went to sleep. I, would, I guess I would feel better about Jonah if, if it said something like this. You know, Jonah ran from God, and he went out, and he, he laid down on the bed in the ship, but he couldn't sleep. He was restless, you know. It was just just eating at him, thinking about these people who were going to be destroyed, but that wasn't the case. He went to sleep. He just just didn't care. And, of course, you know the rest of the story. God roused him up, but I don't know that Jonah ever did care. He says, Jonah says, you know what, God? I'm going (laughs) to, Jonah goes to Nineveh, finally, after he goes into the belly of the fish and vomits him up, you know, on the ground. You know the the story. And, And finally, Jonah gets there, and he walks into town, and probably gets great pleasure maybe in telling these people that they're going to perish at the hand of God. But then he tells them, you know, but if you'll repent. And so he gets up, Jonah gets up on the mountainside looking down at Nineveh. He's wanting to see the fireworks. I mean, he's, he's looking for a Sodom and Gomorrah show, right? I want to watch these filthy people perish under the wrath of Almighty God. <laughs> you know, and he gets up there and he watches and he watches and he watches and he no, nothing happens. But there's something happening, Amen something happening. God's word of mercy is doing something in the hearts of the people of Nineveh. Their, their hearts were ripe for that gospel message, and they all begin to repent. 
And as they all begin to repent and they all begin to turn to God, God lifts his hand of wrath, lifts his hand of judgment, forgives them and renews them. So the fireworks show never took place. And Jonah says, God, I knew you were going to do that. I just knew it. That's why I didn't want to come. I knew you would give them mercy. They would, they would repent and you wouldn't go through with it. You would forgive them. I, just, I knew this was going to happen. What a, what a creep. I mean, what a horrible attitude. But I, I wanted, and I'm not saying that any of us would be that hardened and callous, but at the same time, I think to ignore the people ripe for the harvest in any manner, whether it's because of our own insecurities or we don't have the time to mess up, I mean, whatever, for any reason shows a lack of compassion. I think that God just wants to produce the compassion of Jesus in us, again, that it becomes natural for us to be fruitful and multiply spiritually. It becomes natural for us just to tell people how great Jesus is, how much Jesus loves them, amen, and that, that they can be saved and their lives can be changed. God, let it be natural in us, that we don't have to work it up, that we desire it. Like we desire to have children physically, we want to desire to have children spiritually. Oh, there's a million and one things I could take this. I'm going to... Jesus gave a, a uh, parable once. He said there's two, two, a guy, a man that had two sons. And he told his first son, he said, I want you to go out and work in my field. And that son said, yeah, okay, Dad, I'll do that. I'll, I'll go work in your field. But he never did it. He, just, he found something else to do. And he just never found his way out into his dad's fields to work in the harvest. The guy had another son, and he said to that son, I want you to go out and work in my fields. That son at first said, no, I don't want to, Dad. i got better things to do. It's hot. I mean, whatever reason, one excuse leads to another. And, and he just said, I'm, I'm not going to do it. He refused to go work in the, in the harvest. But later he gets to thinking about it. He gets to thinking about how good his father is to him. I mean, number one, he, he gave me life. But number two, he, you know, he provided for me my entire life. And He's built this harvest to take care of me. And he just gets to thinking about it, how much he loves and appreciates his dad. And he, he gets to feeling bad for telling his dad he's not going to do it. And so he thinks, I'm going I'm to go do it. My dad wants me to do it. I'm going to do it. So he goes out and he begins to work in his dad's harvest. And Jesus, talking to some real religious folks, he asked him, he said, which one of the sons actually did what the father, which one of the sons really honored his dad. Which one of the sons really fulfilled his purpose? Of course, they couldn't deny it was the one that eventually went out and worked in the field. And those two guys represent a ton of people in the church. I think, I, and I've been both of them. Amen. Represents a lot of us that it, it sounds good, the words sound good, oh, we're ready to go out and do this and this and this for Jesus. And, and okay, when I get to work tomorrow, somebody be sitting there thinking, when I get to work tomorrow, I'm going to tell everybody in there about Jesus. I'm going to have a church service tomorrow morning. And I hope you do that. But it's easy, we can think, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to do things for Jesus, and then what happens? Many times we don't, and the harvest never gets plucked. God don't get honored, people don't get saved, and we don't get our blessing, I might add. But uh, a lot of us, maybe we don't want to at first, I'm sitting there talking to you this morning, and it may kind of makes you uncomfortable, and you think, ah, I, I can't do it, I'm not going to do that, and we just, we kind of shove it off, but I'm, I'm, I'm betting and, and believing that God begin to work on us that we'll be like that other son who eventually says, you know what? God's been good to me. Amen. God's been good to me. 
God's given me life. He's, he's given me health. He's given me so many blessings in life. But above all things, he saved me. I think about the sins in my past that I could be in hell for right now. I mean, there's, I, I think back. and Before I got saved, the times that I was close to death, every time we get in a car, we're just about four feet away from death. Some of us closer than that. Some of us have a tendency to ride the center line. I, I just think of the times that I, I could have been killed and went out into eternity lost and would be in hell today. And that just, it makes me so grateful that Jesus died on the cross for me and that he dealt with me. And that at the time that I was ripe and ready, he plucked. Hallelujah. It's awesome. I don't know. I don't know everybody's heart here today. And honestly, I didn't know where this was going this morning, this direction. As, as uh, I stand up here and I bring this message to a close, I just want to say this, that for those of us as God's people, I hope that this sparks something in you. Um, I, I think about God a lot of times. That, you know, everybody, I, I imagine the heart of God is basically that you know, everybody wants to sit at my table, but nobody wants to work in my harvest, right? It's kind of like it's kind of the, the little red hen scenario, right? They want to sit at my table and receive my blessings, but nobody wants to work in my field. So I think to, the challenge to us as God's people is that we just start, again, looking for the ripe fruit. Be willing to work in the harvest. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, maybe you're that ripe tomato. God's been dealing with you, and you know that it's time to surrender your life to Christ. God's been dealing with you, and it's just time to, to pluck the fruit. The Bible says if we believe in our heart, you already do that. If, if God's dealing with you, you already believe in your heart. That's why the, the Lord's dealing with you. You believe that Jesus died for you. You believe that the world's going to come to an end. You believe in God, and you can see the sin of the world, that you know God is going to pour his wrath out on one day. And So you believe in your heart, and the Bible says we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. It's a simple act of just simply repenting of our sins. I believe in you, Lord. I repent of my sins. I, I, forgive me for the way I've lived my life prior. But from this moment forward, God, I just want to live my life for you. It's as simple as that. So if you're there, you're right this morning, I'm going to ask you to come. She plays music this morning. Everybody would just stand. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Everybody in an attitude of prayer. If you're there this morning and you're ready to just seal the deal, no more waiting, no more wondering, I'm going to come down here and would you come as she sings this morning? Let me pray for you. Father, we just, today, hang on just a second. Father, as we come before you today, this is your part. It's all your part. I, I delivered the word as you placed it in my soul, but Lord, it's you that saves the soul. So I just pray this morning that you would literally close the door on Satan's face today. Close, shut his, his mouth, his every lie, every word that he would speak into the ears of those who you're dealing with. Just win today, God. Win that soul. Pluck that harvest this morning in this place. In Jesus' name. As she sings, would you come?